Today is the second Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of peace. Our peace is found in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist and all the prophets remind us that to receive peace, we must be prepared for it. We light this candle today to remind us that Christ is the Prince of Peace, the one promised from the beginning of the world. We thank God for hope, for the hope He gives us, and for the peace He bestows. Let us pray. O God of peace, Emmanuel, we pray you send your light into our hearts at this time. Help us to be ready for the day and the hour of Christ appearing, to work in our hearts at this time and help us prepare ourselves for the peace that he brings, the inner peace that tells us that we are united with you and the outer peace which will come when he returns to judge the world. Bless our worship that it may be pleasing unto you and bless us that we may prove to be your faithful servants. Amen. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship together. So this is how it was, a silent night like any other. When heaven sent the one, the one that we would call our Savior. Redemption began in a stable in Bethlehem. All of the angels lifted up their voices, filled the night with hallelujah. God is with us now. Everyone come and join the heavenly chorus. Shattered blanket. Love was finally here, sleeping while the world awakens. Say when 
the word of the prophets centuries old. The birth of Messiah has been long The Redeemer of our hearts has been born this night. Now unto you, now unto you, Christ is come. And all creation sing, God's own Son. All hail the newborn King, the Word made flesh now dwells among us. Trouble mind that 
You may be seated. At this time, we'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. in prayer together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me.
Holy Father, we thank you for the song that the angels sing that proclaim the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, born into this world to save us from our sins. It's an awesome thing to contemplate. And we come today in gratitude and thanksgiving for the gift of your Son and for your presence in our lives. Father, as we gather today, we all come with stuff. Some of us are here today and we're We feel guilt and shame, maybe over things we've done this week or things we've left undone. Father, forgive us. Make us new. Some of us come today with hearts overwhelmed with grief, maybe because of the death of someone we love, Maybe the death of a dream, maybe the shattering of a relationship. Father, in our grief, comfort us. Help us to see that you are at work, even in our grief. And that you can, you can turn these difficult struggles into means by which you work in our lives. Father, some of us come this morning burdened for people who are struggling with illness and pain. And we think especially this morning of Ellis Bratzman and Vesta Mullen. We pray for Tim Nichols and Bruce Brenneman. We pray for Bill Roski. Pray for Beverett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Alton Shea, for Isla Shea, for Dick Gould and Edna Howard, for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our minds and hearts today. And we ask for your healing grace in each of them. Father, we pray for our world beyond us. We think of our nation and the divisiveness that we have seen over the last couple of weeks, particularly along racial lines. Forgive us for our prejudice, our bias, our racism, all of the sinful ways in which we see and and treat one another. Forgive us. And in the most troubled places, bring peace, bring healing. Father, we pray for the world beyond us, and we think of the folks who are involved in the Jesus film. Around the world, it's been an awesome way in which the gospel's been communicated, and people have opened their hearts to you. Recently, Lord, there are there have been threats. The evil one wants to destroy this ministry, but we thank you for your protection. We thank you for the ways that you have worked miraculously, and we pray that you will continue 
to use this ministry to help people know your love and grace. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who live in places of the world where they face constant threats, persecution, even the threat of death. Protect them. Watch over them. Help them to know of your presence and of our love and support. And work miraculously in these most difficult circumstances. Father, we thank you for this time of year when we especially remember the coming of Christ. Prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christ's birth. Open our minds and our spirits that you would speak into our lives and you would work in us and transform us and may this celebration of Christmas be the most phenomenal time of experiencing you any of us have ever had. Be glorified as we continue in our worship. And we offer ourselves and our prayers to you through the name and power of our Lord Jesus Christ, born into this world for us. It's in his name we offer our prayers. Amen. Morning, friends. Our scripture reading come, today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapters 1 and 2. This is uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Blessed be the word of the Lord. There are a few things I just want to make mention of to you coming up. You see the insert in your bulletin about the service times in the next few weeks, month or so, if we move into a holiday schedule. Also, you'll notice that today at 5 o'clock, we're going to come together tonight and just sing Christmas carols. This is something we've done for years. It's just a chance for you to come sing your favorite carols, ones that are in the hymnal and others that are not. And you get to choose what we sing. So we hope you'll join us. And then afterwards, we're going to go to the community room for just some cookies, some uh, probably some coffee and some drinks and things, and just uh, have some time of fellowship together. So we hope you'll come back today, 5 o'clock. And uh, you know, we'll be done at 6 or a little after. And it's just a time to sing and fellowship together as we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's so good to see all of you as we gather for worship today, and I want to give you a chance to just say hello to others who are here today. So I invite you to stand and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. Okay, so I get the question, you know, about angels, and I'm thinking, what do you say about angels? Now, the first thing that came to my mind is that we have these preconceived ideas of angels, right? And a lot of it comes from art. And so I I did a little scouring and found some images of art, and they're a little bit dark, I guess, but let's just take a few minutes and look at some of these images, and I would suspect that they probably resonate with you and things that come to your mind about angels.
You've seen It's a Wonderful Life, right? <clears throat> Common denominators of those pictures. Wings, right? Interestingly enough, they're all white, which is sort of fascinating to me. I guess we envision, the artists probably envisioned them to be like them. They, um, they often have light associated with them. A lot of them are pointing their fingers too. Do you notice that? We have these visions of angels in our minds. And I think, you know, the angels are pretty popular in our culture. Outside of the church. Outside of Christianity. The general culture seems like they, at least we've gone through a period of time where people are pretty enamored with angels. Television shows. And uh, you see people who wear pins or necklaces or things that relate to angels. And a lot of it is, is this mindset that these people see God as judgmental, difficult, demanding. And they see angels as just nice. And so if we're going to pick between judgmental, demanding, and nice, we take nice, right? And so there is this fascination with angels. But we create angels, I think, in our own image, Just as we create God in our own image a lot of times. But when we read the scriptures, angels are this wide array of of images. They aren't as limited as we often see them. First of all, there are a few places where angels have wings. The angels of cherubim and seraphim that are in the, the holy place. And as we see, read about sometimes in Ezekiel and some of the other prophecies... They have wings, but a lot of times they don't have wings, even though most of our images do. Angels, they are created beings. I think it's important to understand that right up front. Because sometimes I think we view angels as divine. They're not. They are created beings like you and I are created beings. Angels uh, seem to have a, a sense of where they are visible and invisible. We get stories of that. For instance, in Genesis 19, there are some angels who come to visit uh, Abraham. And in his mind, they're just guys. They come and he says, hey, stay and eat. Let's talk. And they have this conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, you know, let's let's just talk about this. And And they are visible as in a human appearance. But we also find that they're invisible. There's a story in 2 Kings 6 where Elisha and his servant are in the house. They get up in the morning. The servant goes out as he always does. And he stops in his tracks because they are surrounded by the army of Syria. And the army is ready to take them out. He's pretty, they're pretty irritated with Elisha. And the servant runs back in the house, you know, yelling, Elisha, Elisha. They're all, the army of Syria is all around us. And Elisha says, calm down. Because the army, the army for us is a whole lot bigger than the army for them. And he says, wait, Elisha, there is no army of us out there. It's just them. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. And the guy looks out and all around the hillsides are the, is the angelic army of God. Swords ready to do battle. Sometimes angels appear in dreams. I sometimes wonder if they don't appear in dreams because they're, they're less intimidating in a dream than they are when you're just standing there, right? 
Because here's the reality. Most of the time, despite the way we picture angels, and you see a lot of these pictures where they are kind of, I don't know, sort of fat, cherubic, little, almost peep, uh, childlike looking images. When you read the scriptures, I think angels are pretty terrifying. I think they scare the life out of most people. Because what's the first words out of their mouth? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why would you say that? Because people are shaking in their boots. I mean, think about it. If an angel, even if an angel like this, these pictures, some being with wings that, whose head was glowing appeared before you, I think you'd be scared of that, right? I think I'd be scared of that. They're terrifying. And they take on all these different forms. And quite frankly, angels are pretty mysterious. There's a lot about angels that we don't know and trying to pin it down. And this week, as I was trying to think about angels and reading through scriptures and reading what other people have to say about them, it's kind of elusive being able to to figure out exactly what angels are about and what they do and what they are. But I think there are some things that we can understand. And at the heart of what angels are is that they're the servants of God to accomplish the will of God on this earth. I mean, that, that is, that's their role. They are servants of God, which sort of puts to rest the idea that angels are in any way better than God. More loving than God, more compassionate than God nicer than God. Angels are nothing more than God. They are servants of God. Their role is to do the will of God on this earth, to accomplish the work of God on this earth, whatever he assigns them to do. They are servants of God. And you cannot think of angels in any way disconnected from God and have a a, a true biblical view of angels. And sometimes the work that they do, quite frankly, is pretty harsh. There are many images in Scripture where they are described as destroyers. They are described as warriors. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. God uh, bans them from the Garden of Eden. And he says he, he posts an angelic guard with a flaming sword at the entrance to the garden. Intimidating picture. You, you, you look on into, um, into Scripture and you see in, in Revelation, there are these intimidating pictures of angels. As they, as they are the, through, it's through them that, that all of the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. As the angels do the work of God. Justice. In, the old, in ancient Israel... Scripture tells us that the the angels are the ones who destroy and defeat Israel's enemies. They also bring justice to Israel itself as the army of God. But there is the other side of that where angels are, they help people. They help God's people. They are there for us. In Genesis 24, Abraham is concerned about finding a wife, an appropriate wife for his son Isaac. And he wants his servant to go back to the land where they came from and to find a wife. And Abraham tells the servant as he gets ready to send them off, the angel of God will go before you and he will help you find the right wife. 
In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John have been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And it tells us that an angel comes and releases them from prison and sets them free. Later in Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison and he is on the brink of being executed the next day. And while he's in prison, he says an angel appeared to him. He thinks it's a dream. An angel appears to him and he takes the the chains off of his hands and his feet and he opens up the door and Peter walks out and he opens up the doors to the whole prison and Peter walks out into the street. And it isn't until he's a block or so out of the prison that he realizes, he wakes up and realizes Oh, this is real. And the angel rescues him from this difficulty. Angels are servants of God to do the work of God in this world as God deems it. They have no rights in themselves. They they are created by God to do what God wants them to do. And I think that's at the heart of why Satan rebels. Scripture tells us in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, Revelation 12, that, that Satan is an angel who has all of the, uh, the gifts of God. All of the, he's, a, he's actually one of the leaders of the angels in line with probably Gabriel and Michael. And he gives it up. He rejects God. And the implication of it is that he wants to be his own man. He doesn't want to serve God. He wants to do what he wants to do. Paul equates Satan's fall with conceit or pride. The scriptures tell us that Satan, who has it all, wants to be God. And he rejects God. There is some indication, uh, some people believe that when scripture tells us that that human beings are created a little bit lower than the angels, that that irritates Satan. Because God, who creates them lower than angels, wants to pour out his love on human beings. And he does all that he does for human beings, including sending his own son into the world. And Satan says, you're doing that for these people? You know they're going to reject you? You know they're going to turn on you? And yet you keep doing this for them over and over again? I am not going to let that happen. This is ridiculous. And that may be one theory causes him to turn. We don't know exactly, but at some point, this angel who is referred to in a variety of terms, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, decides that he wants to make his life about himself instead of being a servant of God. And so he turns on God. Revelation 12 seems to imply that he may well take a third of the angels in heaven with him and they become what we call demons, to do his work on earth. Now, here's the confusing thing. Here's the thing that we sometimes get confused about. Often, I think we think that Satan is the opposite of God. The word Satan actually means adversary. It means the person who is against you. And, but the truth is, Satan is not so much against God as he is against us. Satan's not the opposite of God. You know, we think of opposites. If I say good, you say bad. If I say rich, you say poor. Light, you say dark. God, Satan? No, not at all. As someone said to me after first service, really the opposite of Satan might be Gabriel. Not God. 
It's not as though Satan has all the power of God, just evil. God is the Almighty One. God is all-powerful. God is the creator of all that exists, including the angels. And Satan is not, has no power comparatively to God. Now, God has allowed Satan to have a certain amount of power in this world. He's allowed him to have a certain amount of leeway to, do, to wreak havoc and, and to be a purveyor of evil in this world. But it is ultimately still under the control of God. Because as Paul writes to the Romans, neither angels nor demons nor any power in heaven or on earth or under the earth can keep us from experiencing the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. So these angels who have rejected God, these angels who are our adversary, our tempters, are no match for God. But they are a match for us. Which is why we need the angelic hosts helping us. And this seems to be why God creates them and sends them into the world. It's for us. And as you read the scriptures, you find the angels doing a variety of things for us. For one thing, they protect us. We talk about guardian angels. And I think there probably is something to the idea of guardian angels. Some people think that we, every person has a guardian angel. Some people think that guardian angels have enough power. They can cover a, you know, a, a group of people. I don't know. Who knows? But there seems to be a sense in which angels are a means God uses to protect us. Psalm 91 talks about how God will send his angels to go watch over you, to guard you in all your ways, to protect you. It's interesting that this is a passage that Satan uses when he's tempting Jesus. Jesus knows this is true. And Satan says to him, as they're standing on top of the temple, just jump off. The angels will protect you. You know they will. God's promised that. That's what they do. And Jesus doesn't deny the fact that that's true. He just says, it's not obedience to God for me to do this. We see the angel protection when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into prison because they refuse to bow down to the idol of the king. And scripture says that they're in this furnace and the, and the king looks in the furnace and says, wait a minute. First of all, this fire is so hot that the guys who threw them in were killed. And here they are, they're walking around in the furnace and there's not three, there's four of them. And one of them looks sort of like an angel. And you move on a few chapters later and Daniel refuses to stop praying despite the edict of the king. And so he's thrown into the lion's den. And scripture says that an angel came and closed the mouths of the lions and protected Daniel. Angels, one of the tasks of angels is to protect us. I can't begin to tell you how many times angels have probably protected us and we don't even realize it. In the 19th century, there was a missionary named John Patton who spent his life, he and his wife, in the, the South Seas, working on the island there. And they hadn't been there very long, and uh, the people around them they were working with didn't want them there. 
They were afraid of them and they were antagonistic toward them. And one night they surrounded their house intent to murder them. And John Patton and his wife spent the whole night on their knees praying for God's protection. And amazingly, the next morning they got up and the guys were gone. Never had that experience happen again. A few years later, one of the leaders of the tribe became a Christian. And in the course of their conversation, John Patton asked him, you remember that night? You remember that? He goes, yeah, I remember that. So what happened? Why did you guys run away? And the guy said to him, well, why did you have all of those men there guarding you? He said, we didn't have any men guarding us. It was just my wife and I in the house praying. He said, no, there were men guarding you. He said, your whole house was surrounded by men with swords in battle gear and scared us to death. And we ran. I think about six, seven years ago, Cindy and I were coming back from Buffalo one evening. We were just, had just come through Rushford on 243 on our way to Caniadea. It was at that moment when it was just starting to get dusk and a deer ran out in front of us. And I swerved our car and lost control and we began to spin on that road. And I don't know, we probably span, spun four or five times around and it hit one of those wire guardrails that they have there. They don't have very many guardrails on that road. We hit the one spot where they do. And it damaged our car, totaled it. But we were really fine. We walked away fine. I can't help but think, maybe there was a guardian angel protecting us. Because, you know, if you travel that road, there are a lot of trucks up and down that road. A lot of cars up and down that road. And here we were spinning around in the middle of that road. And nobody was anywhere around. Maybe you've had similar experiences. I suspect we probably have experiences like that that happen and we don't even realize it. We are protected without even knowing it. Because God's angels are at work. But let's be honest. Sometimes we're not protected. Sometimes stuff happens. And it's in those moments, Scripture tells us, that God sends his angels to comfort us, to minister to us, to help us. When Jesus is tempted, in the agony of that temptation, when it's done and Satan leaves him, Matthew says that the angels come and they comfort him. They minister to him. They help him. They strengthen him. And angels are God's messengers to do that for us all the time. In our pain, our grief, and our loss, often it's angels that come and and minister into our hearts. I sometimes wonder if these angels don't take on the form of other people who are angelic in the sense that they come and they minister God's grace to us and comfort to us and they're with us. And we walk away from those moments and we think to ourselves, that sort of felt like an angel was there with me, helping me. Billy Graham used to say that when he preached and he was worn out from weeks of, of meetings and preaching over and over again, he said there were so many times we just sensed an angel of God coming and strengthening him through the power of God. You get to the end of Hebrews and the writer of here, you get beginning of Hebrews and the writer says, Aren't all angels ministering spirits to us? 
They're at work in us. They're comforting us. They're helping us. You know, the word angel means messenger. Both in Greek and Hebrew, that word means messenger. And really, that's what angels are. They, are, they come and, and they share God with us. They come and, and, and bring God's presence to us. And they come and they speak a word to us. It's fascinating to me when I read the Christmas story, both in, in Luke and in Matthew. Angels come and they speak to people. And it's not a word of God that's sort of a general sense. Not like the sort of things that Jesus teaches about the principles of the kingdom. But angels come for a specific purpose in a specific moment because we need to hear from God in that moment. And so Zachariah is in the temple praying. He's in there doing, giving incense and praying for the people. And an angel appears and says it scares him half to death. And the angel says, you and your wife have been hoping for a child all of your lives. And I know you're past the age of bearing children. But guess what? You're going to have a baby. And that child is going to end up being the one who points the way to the Messiah. And John the Baptist is born. Mary, minding your own business. Angel appears to her. Again, scares her to death. The angel says, Mary, don't be afraid. I have got something to say to you that's going to blow your mind. You're going to bear the Messiah. You're going to have a child. It's going to be a son of God. You need an angel to speak directly to you to get that word. That makes sense, right? I mean, that doesn't just come to you through some sort of vision, some sort of thought in your mind. You need more than that to have that happen. And Joseph... Joseph is such a great guy that he says, you know, Mary's pregnant. I don't know what happened here. This one that I've loved, we've had this relationship. I can't believe it, but I'm going to be good to her. I'm going to divorce her quietly. And an angel appears. And again, you'd need an angel for this too. And an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, don't do that. Let me explain to you what's going on here. And the angel is convincing enough that when it's done, Joseph says, okay. I'm sure in the back of his mind he's thinking, I have no idea how this is going to happen, but okay. And this angel comes and gives him a word that he needs in that moment. You know, ultimately, angels are about turning our attention to God. This is the thing that I think that burdens me the most about what I see and hear about angels in the culture. Is that they're really not about God. They're just about angels. And we, it's almost as though we worship angels. And that they are the most important thing. But angels are simply messengers of God. Angels are given to us to turn our attention to God. And, and our attention is turned to God so that we worship God, not the angels. We have this, this thing in us as human beings that we're always looking for other things to worship. We love worshiping God's creation. We love worshiping ourselves. And we worship angels. We're tempted to worship angels, but they keep telling us, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about God. Worship God. You get the revelation. And the angels are are leading John all over the place. Angels are mentioned over 70 times in the book of Revelation. And they're they're taking John on this tour of heaven and all the things that are going to happen. And, And... 
in chapter 19, he is so absorbed and, and amazed at what the angel is telling him that John actually bows down in worship of the angel. And I can almost picture the angel grabbing him by the hair and pulling him up and saying, stop that. You're not here to worship me. This is about worshiping God. The angels, we worship God. Our whole existence is about worshiping God, doing what God wants. And if you miss that, you've missed the whole point of what angels are about. They're about directing our attention to God so that we worship him, so that we give him glory. The angels sing on the night Jesus is born, glory to God in the highest. It's about God. But the other side of that is not just us worshiping God. Angels are also turning our attention to God so that we might see the depths of God's love for us. I don't know exactly why angels are necessary. And I have yet to find anyone who, through scripture that I've read, who can completely explain why angels are necessary. But John Calvin said, we might not be able to understand why angels are necessary, but if God in his gracious, generous heart gives them to us for all the things that they do for us, then let's celebrate them and give thanks for them. Angels are gifts of God. They speak to us. They protect us. They comfort us. There are means in which God speaks into our lives in a way that for some reason we, we couldn't get without them. Somehow, for some reason, God has decided that angels are a good way to communicate with us and to do his work in the world. And instead of wondering so much about them, we give thanks to God for them because they display the depth of God's love for us. And angels love us as much as they can the way God does. I'm fascinated when Luke 15, at the end of the, end of the two parables about the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus says that the angels in heaven rejoice when one person repents of their sin. So I have this image in my mind of someone opening their heart to Jesus and this party exploding in heaven among the angels. And they're dancing and they're singing and all kinds of crazy stuff just because one human being opens their heart to God. They're God's gifts to us. And there's a lot about angels we're not going to know I mean, they are mysterious at best. There's so much that's beyond us about angels. But if we take nothing away from this, take this away. They are God's love gifts to us. They are a means of God expressing, one more means of God expressing how deeply he loves us. How important we are to him. And so every day, as you sense God's protection, as you sense God's comfort, as you sense God speaking into your life, give thanks to God. 
for the gift of angels. And let it lead us to worship him more and more every day. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. The first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.